Folks, if I uh, were to say to you uh, this statement, now on the last day, what question would pop into your mind? Yeah, what, what are you talking about? What last day? Well, that's how the text tonight begins. So take a look with me at John chapter 7, just a couple verses tonight. John chapter 7, verse 37. That's just how it begins. I'll give you a chance to get there. Now on the last day. Uh, John chapter 7, verse 37. Now on the last day, the last day of what? Feast of tabernacles. That's the context. Or feast of booths. On the last day, it lasted seven days. So on the last day, it's also known as the great day of the feast. It says right here. On the last day of the feast of tabernacles, also referred to as the great day of the feast. So, so far, we're getting a glimpse of the context of what we're about to read. Uh, this is taking place during the Feast of Tabernacles, which was one of the three pilgrim feasts mentioned in Leviticus chapter 23. Pilgrim feast because all Jewish males over a certain age and their families were required to make pilgrimage up to Jerusalem, no matter where they lived, on this particular occasion, Feast of Tabernacles or Booths. It takes place late in September or early in October. It's the equivalent of our Thanksgiving. It's kind of like Jewish Thanksgiving. The Jews pause for these seven days. They construct booths, literal booths. Some sleep in them. Others take meals in them to reflect on God's provision of food and water during their 40 years of wilderness journey when they dwelt in booths. So every year during the time of year I mentioned, these Sukkot or booths are constructed to remember and to be thankful to God for his provision of food and water. I mentioned to you it lasts seven days. On each of the days, the high priest and his associates would leave the temple precincts, go down a hill to a place called the Pool of Siloam. It's a real place. In fact, when we go to Israel, we go to the Pool of Siloam. It exists. And the priest would go there with a golden pitcher. He would fill it with water drawn from the Pool of Siloam. And then the people would follow the high priest in kind of a processional and a time of great rejoicing. They would uh, walk through the temple courtyards uh, through a gate called, appropriately, the water gate. When they entered, someone would blow a trumpet or a shofar. The people who are following the priest are carrying things and waving them, branches and also fruit because it's an agricultural festival. Again, it's a time of thanksgiving for the provision of food and water in the wilderness. And when they got there, they would sing from the ancient Hebrew songbook, Psalms. They would sing Psalm 113 to Psalm 118, praise to God. In fact, we call them the praise songs or the hallel. Hallel is a Hebrew word for 
praise. I think you know this. For instance, if I said hallelujah, that means praise God. The first part of it is hallel or praise. So they would sing the, uh, the uh, praise songs on this particular occasion. Now, on the last day of the feast, which is what we're reading about here, the intensity of the rejoicing and celebratory atmosphere would really, really pick up. It would all be amplified. In fact, it was referred to, as we see here, it was referred to as the great day of the feast, or in Hebrew, ha Hashanah Rabbah. Hashanah Rabbah. And I think one of those words is familiar to you because we sang it, interestingly, earlier tonight. Hosanna. Hosanna. That's Hoshana. Hosanna. Hosanna means save us. Save us. Ho Hosanna Rabbah means we are celebrating our great salvation. And that's what they were doing. It was uttered both as a prayer and also as a praise to Almighty God for his anticipated salvation of the Jewish people. So that's kind of the context here. And on the last day of the uh, feast, the priest would do something different. On each of the previous days, he would take the water and circle the altar of sacrifice in the temple courtyard and pour the water out. He would go around the altar one time, pouring the water out in commemoration of the water that God provided in the wilderness. But on this day, the last day of the feast, he would encircle the altar seven times. And as he did so, people are singing and praising and, and they're rejoicing. In fact, the Mishnah, the Mishnah is part of what we call the Talmud, a collection of ancient Jewish writings. They date centuries, centuries and centuries. In the Mishnah it says, he that has not seen the rejoicing of the outpouring of the water has not seen rejoicing in all of his life. So why such a time of rejoicing? The rabbis tell us it's because this ceremony represents the outpouring, not of water, that's a symbol. This represents the outpouring of the very Spirit of God upon the people of Israel in the last days when Moshiach, or the Messiah, comes. So on this holiday, people were filled with messianic anticipation. In this context, I've taken some uh, time to give you the context because I want you to appreciate what happens next. In this context, on the last day of the feast, Hoshana Rabbah, the big day, on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood, the text tells us, and cried out, saying, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Understand, during this time, they were thanking God for his provision of water to satisfy the thirst of their physical bodies in the wilderness. And Jesus stood up. He didn't whisper. He cried out that he could satisfy the thirst, not only of their bodies, but of their parched souls. Can you see how significant 
His words were. They were not at random. They were specifically designed to fit this context. They were celebrating the provision of water. He says there's something even more important than water. You have a parched soul. I can satisfy that particular need. And they were looking with anticipation for the coming of Messiah, during which time his spirit would be poured out before him. And when he stood up and cried out, he's essentially saying, look no further, your Messiah has arrived. That's what he's saying. How do I know this? The typical position of a Jewish teacher in ancient days was not to stand before the students, it was to sit. The students sometimes sat as well, but oftentimes stood as the teacher sat before them. The Lord Jesus assumed that posture, but not on this occasion. The text specifically says here, I'm not making this up, Jesus stood and cried out. Please understand, the population of Jerusalem is swelling now with pilgrims from all over. There's much hustle and bustle in the courtyard of the temple. There's shofar blasts. There's all kinds of singing and so on. And he stands up, and I take it he was a person of uh, stamina, strength, and health. Had to be, if you realize uh, all of the distance he walked to get from place to place. He stood up and he cried out. There was nothing subtle, dignified, or proper about this. He shouts out, what? The grandest, greatest invitation in all of human history. The greatest person on this occasion made the greatest invitation ever made to sinful people. It's right here. It's simple. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. That's what he said. If anyone, that means nobody is excluded. It means everyone. It means no one is so bad as to not be included. Have you ever thought this Jesus is for them but not for me? If you only knew what I have done, well, I may not and we may not, but he does. And you who think you're no one, you're anyone. <laughs> if anyone, nobody is so bad as to not be included in the invitation and nobody is so good as to not need to respond to the invitation. The invitation is given to Jewish people and to Gentile people. It's given to rich people and to poor people. It is offered to black people and even white people. It is for men and also for women. It applies to old people and young people. This invitation, see if you can believe this, is for Democrats as well as for Republicans. That's right. This invitation offered by Jesus, I'm just reading the text, is given to anyone, but there is a condition. If you look closely to the text, you'll see it. If anyone is thirsty, that is the condition. Notice, first, there are no others. This does not say, here's the condition, you must be something else. Nope. 
You have to be special. No, you have to be good. No, you have to clean up your act. No, you have to make promises. No. You have to thirst. That's the condition. If anyone is thirsty, why? Well, folks, without thirst, who's interested in drinking? Thirst has to precede drinking. Without thirst, you see, for the things of God, who seeks God? And I want to tell you something. We have a big problem. Because the scriptures tell us, both in Old and New Testaments, nobody seeks after God. Did you know that? That's not in us. We run from God, deny him or ignore him. But we don't, by natural inclination, seek him. Therefore, we're in trouble. So here's what happens. The same God who stood up on that day in Jerusalem expressing a willingness and ability to satisfy thirst, that same God, spiritual thirst, is the one who has to conjure it up. And he does. He has to awaken in us some interest in spiritual drinking. Otherwise, we have no interest. If you are a saved person, you did not get saved because somebody made an invitation. You got saved because the Savior did something in you enabling you to respond to the invitation. You would have no interest in it if he didn't conjure up some thirst in your life. You couldn't maybe express it in uh, the right vocabulary, but you knew something inside of you persuaded you you're not right with God and you wish to be. Something tells you you're living in his world, but it's not working for you. No preacher did that. Something, no, someone made you thirsty for the things of God. The one who conjures up the thirst is the one who stood up on that day to say, and I'm the same one willing to satisfy your thirst. Now, I want to tell you, we Christians have a big role in this whole process. We know, for instance, that salt makes one thirsty. Interestingly, the Bible refers to us as the salt of the earth. And now we just figured out what our life's purpose is here. If we live as we should, that is to say, representing the Lord who saved us well out there, we can make people thirst for Jesus the Messiah. I remember when I was in the military and led to the Lord by a great guy who also helped me to grow. He told me one time something I'll never forget. On a particular occasion, he said, Stuart, ask God to give you a life that demands a question. I didn't know exactly what he meant, but I prayed it. I got it now. How could it be that we'd be new in Christ and it not show? How could it be that we'd be inhabited by the ancient of days, the Alpha and Omega, the God who has no beginning or end, and did not show? And if it shows, someone's going to say something like, what makes you tick? Somehow the way we're living was like salt and aroused their thirst and their interest and then our role is to tell them about Jesus and his grand invitation uttered 2,000 years ago and just as relevant today. 
Now, if you're wondering when something like that happens, how would you respond? Could I suggest to you a mere, oh, 40 words? You could say something like, let me tell you about the greatest thing that ever happened to me. It was when I realized that God was willing to forgive all my sins through the death of his son Jesus on the cross in my place. And now you got a conversation going. You salted their oats. You made them thirsty. And now you just said something to point them to Jesus, who's the one who really makes the invitation. By the way, I've been told by some of you that we go through this too fast and you want to copy it down. So I made copies of those 40 words and they're here and here. There you go. It only took six months to do it. Uh, but we're, we're, we're sharp. We got you. Anyway, if you'd like at the end of the service to help yourself to one of those copies, there you go. You're welcome to it. So the Lord stands up and cries out, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And so you can see the invitation uh, is to come to a person, isn't it? Not a program, right? Let him come to me. Can you see the invitation involves a personal response? Come to me. Can you see it also involves a personal participation? Let him come to me and drink. You can't drink the, from the well of salvation for another. You can arouse that one's thirst, and then you can point them uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ, but then they have to come themselves and drink. And so the Lord's cry, uttered in Jerusalem some 2,000 years ago, isn't it wonderful that that very invitation has been heard now around the world? In fact, we just heard about it going forth in Africa and bearing fruit in the lives of people. It's the same invitation that uh, we live to express. It's our goal. It's behind all evangelism. It's behind all soul winning. It's one of the primary purposes for which we gather together to build each other up so that we can go out there and be salt and light, arousing people's thirst in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord's invitation is the uh, impetus and foundation for all missionary activity. That grand invitation, as all-inclusive as it is, if anyone, it means it applies to all people at all times in all situations. If you're looking for the message that could satisfy one's thirsty soul, this is it. It's simple. The Lord Jesus said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And our job is simply to declare the words of the Lord Jesus to everyone who gives us a chance to do so. And the Lord clarifies exactly what he means to thirst and to come and to drink. It means simply to believe. That's what it says in the next verse, verse 38. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. As the scripture said, which scripture? It would be an Old Testament scripture. We don't know. But there are many scriptures that could fit the bill. There are many Old Testament scriptures, the subject of which is water. And we don't know where the Lord is specifically referring here. I guess it's not that important to know. As much as 
He defines for us what it means to come to him and drink. It is to accept him. It's to believe in him. And if so, here's the result. From his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. In the wilderness wanderings of ancient Israel, perhaps you know this, there was an occasion recorded for us in the book of Numbers when water supernaturally was provided from a rock. And in this occasion, the Lord Jesus is essentially saying, I was that rock and I am that rock, source of living water even today. Listen, for instance, to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. And all, all of the Israelites drank the same spiritual drink, for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. He's saying, as I satisfied the physical thirst of your forebears supernaturally and miraculously, in old days, so too I stand before you, willing and able to satisfy the thirst of your parched soul supernaturally and miraculously today. He said, I, I gave them satisfaction of thirst in the wilderness, and I'm prepared to give anyone satisfaction of thirst in the world in which they live. If you are thirsty... How much water will it take to quench your thirst? Will the thimble of water be enough? I don't think so. How about a small cup? Probably not. So I ask you the question, how much? What is the volume of water this Lord Jesus is willing to bequeath to us? Look what it says. From his innermost being will flow rivers. Is it plural in your translation? It ought to be. Rivers of living water. He's the singular source of water. But it flows through manifold rivers. In other words, when the Lord Jesus gives us living water from which to drink, folks, it's a river that never will run dry. Amen. And for the Christian, I want to tell you something. Don't you sense this? If you're a Christian, don't you, don't you know that you have been changed by Jesus on the inside? You know it. You know it. And uh, you can't be persuaded out of it. You don't even have to be all that theologically astute. You know something happened inside of you. And you may not even have all the words to properly and persuasively explain it but you don't care because something happened inside of you that nobody could argue you out of you you know a change has taken place and you know that change has been affected by the lord jesus i want to tell you something see that phrase from his innermost being in the original language it literally is out of his belly out of his belly. In other words, from the core of your being, from the essence of your innards, from your private self, you know that when you 
being thirsty, came to the Lord Jesus and in so many words said, I want to drink of the well of living water. When you put your faith in him, to the core of your being, you know you're different. You can never go back. You've been translated from one sphere of influence, its darkness and dryness, to an entirely different one of light. And your soul is now continuously being quenched. There's still a thirst, but you know where to go to get it satisfied now. You're a different person. You think differently, you act differently. You're not exactly who you want to be, but still there's been quite a change in your life. There's room for growth in your life, in all of our lives, but you know there's been a change wrought inside of you, from the core of your being, from your guts, from your belly. <laughs> you know when you came to Jesus, he kept his word, and he came into you and changed you. Now there's another aspect to all this. The rivers which the, of uh, water, living water the Lord is speaking about, they, uh, they're, they're not just an inside thing. They, it's not just something coming into a person. He also spoke of something coming out of the person. So the rivers of living water are meant to flow out of us to others who are thirsty. Folks, uh, the world... I don't have to persuade you of this, is increasingly becoming a very barren place, spiritually. Barren place, the world is. And that means the people of the world are dying of thirst. Now, physically, they may look okay and all the rest, but on the inside, they're parched. Their souls are parched they're dying of thirst. And you and I, Christians, are the rivers of living water these dying people need. Whatever else may be going on in your life, physical issues, financial employment, whatever it may be, still we're given platforms by which we can conjure up thirst in people's lives, people out there. Are you in a hospital? I, I, I don't wish it on you or me or anyone, but there are lots of people in that hospital whose souls are parched. They think you're the one who has needs and problems. Not really. If you die in Christ, you live forever in Christ. It's not really that fatal, is it? It's not really that tragic. It's tragic to die and then without Christ and thus have to be apart from him throughout eternity. That's the tragedy. So really when you think about it, there's no such thing as an unfortunate turn of events that could happen our way. If you're on the way home and you're in an accident, the person who hit you probably has a dry and thirsty soul. Why? because he or she lives in a barren world. And I know you're reaching for insurance and calling the cops and all this, and all this is important. But don't forget, the Lord Jesus came into our life with 
uh, rivers of living water so that there's an outflow into the lives around us. Folks, I dare you, ask God to give you a chance to share a mere 40 words with someone this week, but it may not be someone who comes to your Bible study class. It could be someone out there. It could be someone out there. There's no such thing as the cruel winds of fate. Everything is permitted by a sovereign God, and his intent is for rivers of living water to flow through his people so that others who are out there could hear his grand invitation and find satisfaction for their parched souls. Folks, lost people desperately need what only we who have believed can offer. Did you know that? Lost people desperately need what only we who have believed can offer. Can you see how important it is now more than ever before that we tell people about this Jesus who stood up in the temple precincts 2,000 years ago and cried out with the grandest invitation of all time. He said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And you get a chance to explain what all that means to folk. You have in you and me what the world really needs. I'll tell you why. <laughs> Life makes people thirsty. Life. Why? Because life is not any longer what God intended it to be. And so just living makes people thirsty. The world is immersed in a crazed quest to satisfy thirst in all manner of ways. It's in the pursuit of fame or fortune or the accumulation of goods or in unrestrained recreation or pleasure and all the rest. The world is becoming desperate, desperate because it's dying of thirst, and you and I heeded and heard the Lord's grand invitation in one manner or another, and we came to Jesus because we were thirsty, and he offered us something to drink. It's the good news of a pardon and of forgiveness and adoption into his family. It's the good news of eternity with him for evermore and it did something for us though our bodies may be in disrepair I, I understand that our souls are so good people write songs about it it is well maybe not with my body it is well with my soul because the one who offers living water took us up when we heeded his invitation and he entrusted that to us could I ask you something and I ask me myself this question. Am I living out there in such a way that I'm conjuring up thirst for Jesus in people's lives? Or am I in my countenance, in my anger, in my cynicism, in my pessimism, in my sin? Am I quenching any thirst they might otherwise have for the Lord Jesus. Folks, I'm no date setter, but I do look at the news. It can't be that we have all that much time left, really. 
good night. Things are gloriously falling apart. Isn't that great? It's just what the scriptures say. We live in this grand day. And because even unsaved people know things are falling apart, it's a day ripe for the thirst-quenching Jesus. And there's different ways to tell people about him. Some are very bold. Evangelists and they go door to door. Some go on missions trips of a short-term kind. And others, they commit their life to the foreign mission field. This is wonderful. Some are very gifted evangelists like Dr. Bailey Smith, who we had the privilege of hearing from. You need not compare yourself with any of those. You're just somebody who somehow heard Jesus offering the grandest invitation of all time. And at the time, he had also graciously aroused your thirst for the things of God. And in so many words, you came to Jesus and you said, please let me drink from the well of the water of eternal life. And the Lord Jesus poured into you rivers, plural, of life. And now in the overflow... Don't make it a responsibility, make it a privilege. In the overflow now, we get to pour out the good news of the Lord Jesus to others. It's, it's, it's the great commission. It's important. So I ask myself the question, I hope you ask yourselves the question, sometimes the answer is not so good. How did I do today in the mall? How did I do today in the doctor's office? How did I do today when I brought my car to the auto mechanic? How did I do today with the lady checking me out at Walmart? <clears throat> did I live in such fashion that maybe that person would see something in me? It may be a peace, a patience, a kindness, a goodness. Maybe, maybe, maybe that would arouse their interest in uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And even on that situation, it takes two minutes to share 40 measly old words to leave with that person. Folks, I encourage you. Now, by the way, that's not you and I going out there and trying to be good. No, that's you and I being so filled with the very Spirit of God in us <laughs> that he makes a visible difference in our life. The fruit of the Spirit, not a fleshly effort, the fruit of the Spirit of God in us is love, joy, Peace, goodness, kindness, self-control. Folks, I, I beseech you, and I, I'm telling you, I'm hearing my own words here. Uh, some of us have done such harm to the cause of Christ out there because people know we bear his name, but we don't look like any, we don't look different than anybody. Sometimes, if I was bold, I feel like saying to some folks, hey, don't tell anyone you're a Christian. Do us all a favor, okay? Don't say anything. Just, you know, just talk about the Astros or something. But don't identify with Christ because you're making it hard for the rest of us because you're doing such a lousy job. Folks, filled up with rivers of living water, such that in the overflow, our job is to be out there as salt and light, making it easier for people to hear and believe in the grand invitation of the greatest person 
who ever lived. I just share, hey, I'll bet we can do this together even without looking. Listen, what was the invitation? The words of Jesus that he stood up as a herald to declare. He said, if, see if you can say it with me, if anyone is thirsty, let him do what? To who? To me and do what? That's the gospel message. Ask God to give you a chance to share that message with someone. In fact, Lord, that's what we do. We pray that you would give us eyes to see parched souls in the normal course of living our daily lives out there and fill us to such extent with rivers of living water that in the overflow we could introduce people to you. We could tell them about the grand invitation you gave 2,000 years ago and which still is the key to eternal life today. Oh God, I pray you would unleash us with more passion for sharing the good news of water that satisfies our thirsty souls. Fill us with more passion for that than for anything in these last days. And this we pray in Jesus' name, amen, amen.